Hello, the message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's Favorite House Canada. We pray that as you listen, God's light will flood your heart and transform you forever. Amen. Father, we come this morning. We come to you, our God. We come to learn from you. We've come to receive grace. We've come to be led by you into green pastures. Lord, we've come to draw from you grace that we need for our lives. Father, we are asking this morning that you speak to each and every heart. We are asking that you speak to each and every one of us. We are asking that you open us up to insight and light in the name of Jesus. Father, we are asking that you reveal your counsel in each life. We are asking today that no one will go the same. In the name of Jesus. Honor, glory, dominion, and majesty we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. In Jesus' amazing name we are prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. I want to thank God for, for the privilege to, to stand here to bring God's word today. I want to thank God for all that God is doing already in all of our lives. And I want to just uh, say thank you to God for, for all, of, all of what God is doing. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, um, I'll, be, I'll be sharing today just um, very briefly on, on, on the topic set apart. Now, I, I really didn't know what to what to call this because when when I started preparing I had some three unrelated stories you know to to talk about and I I didn't exactly know how to how to bring it all together but I'll, I'll do my best anyways I'll, I'll just I'll just go I mean all of us are God's children we can we can learn from the stories and make sense of it okay so I would like us to start from an encounter that Jesus had with a certain um, scribe, a certain teacher of religious law in Mark chapter 12. So in Mark 12 28 to 34. So we're just laying the premise. Jesus had been engaging the Pharisees and the Sadducees and this teacher of religious law you know, he liked the way the conversation was going. Jesus was giving good answers and all that. So he posed his own question and he asked Jesus. He said which of the commandments is the greatest of all? So Jesus answered him and said, you know, God had revealed to Israel, you know, rules and all of that. And these guys were very knowledgeable about it. But Jesus basically summarized the Old Testament into two things. He said that the greatest commandment is to, I mean, he said, you know, know Israel that the Lord God is one, you know. And so you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your mind, love God, you know, totally, basically. He said, this is the supreme commandment. So this is in order of priority. This is one. And he said, the next is like it. The second one is like it. You know, he said, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. So the guy, I mean, very perceptive guy, Jesus actually liked him. The guy said, oh, Jesus, you've given a fantastic answer. And then he 
he summarized what Jesus said again. So he said to Jesus, oh, you said it perfectly. You know, so this is what it is. He summarized it. And Jesus said to him, hmm, with this your answer, you are on the verge of the kingdom of God. You are this close to the kingdom of God. So that's the first story. Just laying the premise. Now, in the same Mark, chapter 10, there was the story of a rich man that came to Jesus. So in Mark 10, from verse 17, we see the story of the rich young ruler. You know, in other places, called the rich young ruler. In this place, it was called the young, the rich, the rich man. He came to Jesus and said, good master, what is the formula for eternal life? What must I do? What is the, just tell me what to do. Because I know how to figure things out. Give me the formula for the economy. I sort it out. I become a, a millionaire. So give me the formula for eternal life. And I know how to fix it. I just need the formula. You know there are some brilliant students. They say, what is the formula? Give me the formula. Don't worry about the rest. We'll meet on exam day. You know, they will figure it out. They don't need to go to class. Just, he was a bright guy. He was a smart guy. So he, he had everything figured out. Came to Jesus. And then Jesus posed a question back to him. I mean, not exactly a question. Jesus said, you know the commandment. And then Jesus gave him the commandment. Now, in the previous story we read, Jesus had summarized the old commandment, the old New Testament, the old Old Testament. Everything Moses and the prophet wrote as two things. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with everything you have, your strength, your might, okay? The second one, which is on equal footing with it. He said, this is supreme. But this is, you know, equal in importance. Is that you must love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus asked this guy who wanted a formula. He said, what does the law say? And then I noticed that Jesus didn't ask about the first four commandments. Jesus asked from the other commandments. So Jesus stood on this foot. Took off. You know, so there was one foot, love the Lord your God, and there was this other one of love your neighbor. So Jesus did like this. So what does the law say? Gave him the commandments that are related to loving his neighbor. And the guy cleared it. Like, what? This guy is good. And then when he finished, he said, I've done this all for my youth. The Bible said that Jesus looked at him intently. Jesus looked at him and like, I like this guy. This is a good guy. This is a believer. Right? Is it not the same thing that we see in Romans and Colossians that we've been studying to love our neighbor? It's cleared it. He didn't have a bot. Jesus would have queried him if he was lying. He would have said, hmm, your heart is not right. He cleared it. So Jesus said, okay. Now let's move to this one. He said, now, I know you are aiming to be on Forbes list. Now go home. Scatter that arrangement and then come and follow me. And the guy was like, <sighs> everything cleared on this one. But on this one, nothing. And then as he left, I actually was dejected. Because I've not played one foot. And then 
So I was like, hey, problem. But thank God for our dear brother, Pippa. He didn't let the matter rest. Said Jesus, this thing you said doesn't make sense. They all can be saved. If the person that used to score 90 in your class just walked away with his tail between his legs, you that used to manage to score 50, what will you do? So the disciples told Jesus, Jesus, with this thing you have said, there's no hope. No hope for anyone. And then Jesus said something. He said, if you think you've got all this figured out on your own, no hope. But if you are counting on God, on his grace, then everything is possible. So that was the premise. That's our premise. Now, we'll come back to the discussion with Peter and the answer to the man's question. Jesus told him that he lacked only one thing. Every other thing was cleared, but he was lacking one thing. And what was his original question to Jesus? What is the formula for eternal life? So we'll see whether Jesus answered the question. Because there's no question that is posed to Jesus in sincerity that Jesus did not answer. It's only when you come to him with guile, with deception, that he will give you a question and leave you to go and figure it out. But when you come to Jesus sincerely, and because this guy was sincere, even though he didn't like the answer, you know, so the question for us today, you know, is that the answer that God is giving you, do you like it? Are you taking it? Or would you rather have something else? And you see, so two scenarios in the Old Testament, or three, maybe, I mean, and just about what God decides to give you as, as your own question, you know, to say this is what you need to do. It can be different for, for, for everyone. I mean, God may make a separate demand of you than he's making from me, you know, because, I mean, he's God, number one. And then we are, we are not, I mean, God knows your path. You know, and God knows my path. So God may decide to set different things for different people. But in the case of, you know, this individual, God told him, this is what you need to do to inherit eternal life. And then he went away, you know, dejected, unhappy, because he was very wealthy. But it was not the wealth that was the problem. God doesn't have a problem with wealth. Abraham was God's friend. He was wealthy. In fact, what was God's agreement to him? God says, leave your country, your homeland. Go to where I'm sending you, and I will make you great. I will make you extremely wealthy. In fact, he became so wealthy in his lifetime that nations had to enter treaties with him. So, it wasn't government to government. It was government to person. You see, B to B. You know, it's <laughs> almost. <laughs> I mean, this guy was, he was, he was on another level. And God didn't have a problem with it. What was his agreement with God? God told him, I will make a covenant with you. Genesis chapter 15. God called him, said, I'll make this covenant with you. I'll make you great. Then God came back to him in Genesis 17. and said, Abraham. I need you to walk 
upright before me. Follow me to the hilt, and I will keep my covenant with you. He said, but this is the condition for the covenant. You will carry the sign of the covenant in your body. And for every male in your household, they must also have the covenant in their body. Now, at this time, Abraham was 99 years old. His son was 13, Ishmael. Right? What does it take to circumcise a grown man? Eh? You tie him down. Okay. One. So we're going to discuss all of these things. You tie him down. Right? Before you get to time down, there was no anesthesia in those days. You take a leaf, put a leaf in your mouth and bite it or a stick. And while you want to scream, you bite on something. There was no anesthesia. So, God says, this is the condition for this covenant. It was a take it or leave it kind of arrangement. He could have said, ah, ah, isn't there another way? And that would have been fine. But that was God's condition. He was a grown man. Now, you know, there, there, there are other examples we see in scriptures. This, this, this period, of, I've been reading the story of Moses. You know, Genesis, I mean, was the story of how God built the nation of Israel up to about 70 people. And then they went to Egypt and then they became a big nation. And from, Gen from Exodus chapter 1, it was about the story of Moses. So Exodus chapter 1 tells us that the whole nation of Israel who were then in Egypt were in bondage. You know, they were being oppressed and all of that. And then chapter 2, Moses was born. And Moses' mother took a risk. There was already a law that the Jewish midwives should kill all the, all the males. But they were not doing it. So the king then gave instruction to his own people to say, when they give birth to me, pick the child and throw him into the Nile. And then this woman kept this child for three months. Every day in those three months, the child should wake up, you know, and start to cry. <laughs> you are risking jail term in addition to losing the child. So they were taking a big risk. Now they took that risk for three months. Then when they could no longer take the risk, and they saw that, okay, we will now devise another plan. So they put the child in the basket. You know, already, of course, coated with tar and all that. And put the baby in the river. And we know the story. The baby was picked up. And for 40 years, he was in Egypt. And then at 40, he killed someone and had to run for his life. And lived in Midian for another 40 years. Now he was 80. God convinced him. God spent two chapters, one and a half chapters, convincing Moses to go back to Egypt. God actually convinced him. Say, guy, go now. He said, no, God, I cannot go. Give, give, I mean, excuse, excuse, excuse. And then finally, when God convinced him to go, he started going. God spoke to him. Go now to Egypt. Take your wife, take your two sons. And then on the way, I saw a very interesting scripture. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 to 26. God wanted to kill him. I'm like, what? How can God risk 80 years of careful planning of all the people that took risk that could have died because of this guy. God wanted to kill Moses. Why? Because there was an issue 
of consecration that Moses had refused to deal with. So he was not standing well on this leg. I mean, that's another story. You know, but that's not, that's not exactly where I'm going. So, why is it so important? Now, it's not, it's not, it's not the physical act of circumcision. It's not the, it's not the right that, that we're talking about. We're talking about the act that submits to God. So God wants us to be set apart such that when he says, give this up, we give it up. That was a test that that guy failed. Because we will see at the end of that chapter, Mark chapter 10, I mean, of that, of that passage, Mark chapter 10, by the time you get to verse 29, Jesus was explaining to his disciples, because after all this discussion, so can we, can we please go back to Mark chapter 10 and from verse 28. So, if you read this same passage in the message, Peter was not letting this matter rest. That was what he, was, he said. He said, Peter wasn't going to let this matter rest. So he said, ah, Jesus, this thing you said does not make sense. Nobody can make it. If this guy that is our IA student has already failed the question, then nobody can pass. So we have left everything and we have followed you. What happens? Then Jesus gave the answer to the man's question. He said, everyone that has given up something for my sake, whether it's mothers, you know, children, parents, family, possessions, anything for my sake. He says they will get them back. So the guy didn't want to give up his position on Forbes list. If he had given it up, he would have gotten it back, but how? hundred times over. So if he was number 100 on Forbes list, and that was why he was still... I don't want to lose my space. What would he have gotten? And then, in addition to that, he will get everything back with troubles, but in addition, he will get what? Eternal life. So eternal life, in this context, is actually a bonus for those whose hearts follow the Lord. For those whose heart loyally follow the Lord. Possession is, I mean, is a given. You will get it. If you are sacrificial in following the Lord, God will give you back a hundredfold of the same things that you have given up. But in addition to that, you will then gain eternal life. So, why is this important for us? The story I was talking about. So, I mean, because of this old story of Abraham and all the things they were, I was like, how can this kind of things be, be a requirement? And I saw that God actually demanded the same thing of the children of Israel sometimes at another time in their life. In, in Joshua chapter 5, you know, in Joshua chapter 5, God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And because the fathers refused to go into the land that God has promised, you know, which would have taken them a little time, 
I mean, we learned that it would have taken them maybe 10 or 11 days to get into the promised land. But because they refused, you know, it took 40 years. And in that 40 years, either by omission or commission, none of the Israelites that was born since they left Egypt had been circumcised. Now, God's law to Abraham was that every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day. And there were times that they were camped for more than eight days at a point, at a, at a time. There were times where they settled in a place and stayed there. And, so they didn't do it. Why? I don't know. What would be the reason? I don't know. But just when they were ready to enter the promised land, they had crossed the Jordan. So by the time they crossed the Jordan, because the land God promised them is all the land God gave, God had already promised and demarcated their borders using the Jordan, the Euphrates River, you know. So once they stepped into where God had promised, before God gave them the first city, God said, can we talk about this thing now? Can we have this discussion? Now, what amazed me about these people was that there were people there who were 40 years old. They left Egypt. And none, the Bible said none of the people le who left Egypt, so verse 5, I mean, it says none of those people had been circumcised. So, Joshua just comes out and says, God has spoken. God's, and then he brought out the knives. And said, so, yeah, all of you line up. God has said, 40-year-old man, I'll look at him in the face and say, Daddy, I'm really sorry, but this thing is painful. I mean, think about it. They had to line up all the males. When they caught the first person and the guy screams, the other people should not be waiting. So why would they wait? And that's the question. So, these people are, are, not, are not children. I mean, it's not like they are not conscious. So if you circumcise at eight days, the child is probably not aware of what you want to do. But these people were conscious. They were awake. They were there. How did they, you know, endure this? How did they stand there? How did they, how were they willing? You know, because, see, I mean, I try to play it in my head. The first thing is that this right, and I'm not trying to be gross or anything, but it requires you to take certain steps. The first thing is that when you get there, you have to strip in front of another person. What does that speak to? Humility. You know? Because, I mean, you know, boys, they will laugh. Some people will laugh. Abby, some people would make fun of you. But they were willing to strip. The people that are mandated to hold you down. <laughs> like if someone wants to hold you down, right? What if you had more muscle than him? That I mean, the most the strongest person in Israel on that day was circumcised as well. So they tell two skinny guys to hold you down. Like if I eat their heads together like this. You know? So, I mean, there was the it was a, about dying to self. It was about 
yielding to God, even though it didn't make sense for many of them. I mean, the question is, we, didn't, we were not circumcised for 40 years. What happened? That's logic. Pastor comes here now and says, we need to fast. God is leading me to tell us to fast. Just comes here now after this message and says, God is leading us to fast for one week. Like, how about now? When we didn't fast, did we die? What changed? You know, and then you start to apply logic. These 40 years, God was still giving us victory. It's our own, not too much. What is this fasting, fasting self? What is he doing? You know, you know how logic can come in. Then we start to rationalize it. That was why God, the angel of God appeared to Moses and was about to kill him. Moses was a Jew. He was trained as a Jew. Remember, his mother was paid to train him. So he was already circumcised before they put him in the river. So he was circumcised. He knew the requirement of their God. But when he had his first son, and that's what most, most Bible scholars will say, he had two sons. Because if you read the preceding verses, he left Midian with his two sons, with his wife and two sons. When he had the first son, he circumcised the child. We're like, what? This is barbaric. This is... I mean, so he decided to calm down for the second one. He learned his lesson. Right? And then when the angel of the Lord came, the mighty terrible one, she did it herself. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that's, 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 that's like logic, you know. Is it still required in these days? Is fasting still required in these days? You know, because you are no longer in Africa. You don't see the... <laughs> You don't see the people arrive. And I say, no, 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 no. In this, I mean, fasting is a bit too tedious. You start to rationalize consecration. I mean, and I'm not saying fasting is the sign of God. I'm just using something we can relate with. God tells you, do this. This is what is required for your consecration. Then you start to rationalize it. And then I broke it first time. Nothing happened. Again, nothing happens. I mean, really, are we sure about these things? That was something. I will shake myself as at former times. Then the spirit will come back. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, but this, this, these are real issues. So, 40 years, no circumcision, nothing happened. Manna was flowing. Everything was going on. Victories everywhere. The river was splitting. What, 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 what is this thing? It's not really required. You know what the Bible says? It says, don't remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have placed. If God required holiness for the people before us, it's still in the curriculum. You can skip it. But you meet it at the general exam. You may not, you can say, no, 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 our own school, we like to prepare our children for this. We don't like to stress them. They don't do physics. They don't do this. They, they will go to university and everybody will be doing aerodynamics or 
thermodynamics, I don't know, all those physics things. Then it will show. So if it's a requirement, it is a requirement. If God has demanded it of you, then you need to do it. That's a question of consecration. So for Moses, the reason why God didn't allow him to get away with it was because God was sending him as lawgiver. You're going to go there and say, do this. And then God x-rayed his life before he entered Egypt. He said, this thing is still there. He says, shouldn't you have known? You know, and someone should have want to give him. Shouldn't you have known? And then he did it. So, why am I, why am I saying these things? You see, it's not, it's not because of the right of circumcision. Because, I mean, we know that in Christ Jesus, circumcision means nothing. You know, it is following God. I mean, it's not circumcision that makes one a Jew. You are circumcised because you're already a Jew. Not, circumcision does not make you a Jew. Right? So, we're saying that the things that God requires of you, he requires it because you're his child. Because you're a believer. Jesus already loved that man. The rich ruler. Jesus loved him. Jesus looked at him and said, ah, I like this guy. Let me give him the secret. He was in love that God told him, go and sell what you have and then come and follow me. So, for us, we need to look at these things in the context of our lives. What does God require from me for my consecration? What does God require from me to prove to him that I've given him my all? It may not be big, but it may also be big. For Abraham, God called him. God told him, okay, go ahead. I'll bless you. I'll make you great. And God had started to fulfill his word. Right? He was now rich. He was wealthy in cattle and everything. God gave him the son. Because he told God, he said, you've made fantastic promises to me. But is this Eliezer that's going to become my heir? God said, no. I'll give you a son. Then God gave him the son. And then God came one day and said, Abraham, can I borrow your son? Can I take this, your son? Uh, dash. But Abraham just rationalized it. He's just borrow. If I give him to God, God will return him to me. And God said, this is a guy. This is the guy I'm looking for. This is the person. Because at that point, God realized that I have this guy. And same thing for us. Is in the curriculum. It's part of our test. We can dodge it today, but we'll meet it at the general exam. So, what has God required of you? And will you let Him have it? So, I mean, we, we've looked at these three three different I mean stories. For Moses, Moses was confronted about a truth that he already knew but had not yet applied. So are there truths that you know? You know for a fact. It's not like you are still trying grappling with it. If you don't know, it's a different matter. But there's a truth that you know but you have not applied. 
Maybe that's what is missing. Fix it. That's, that's it. That's, I mean, it's an issue of consecration for many of us. God says this, and then you're like, mm, you're still rationalizing, you're speaking English, you're still required in this age. You know, that's, that's one area. For, for Joshua and the Israelites, so in, in, in Joshua chapter 5, and I know we didn't really read it, in Joshua chapter 5, God told Joshua, now do it. It could be something that God had been prompting you again and again to do, but you've been putting it off. I'll get to it. More convenient time. I can't do it now because of many movements. You know, you are you know, just putting it off. Waiting for the ideal time. Perfect conditions. Or you've probably even just neglected it. Just pushed it to the back of your mind somewhere and then forgot about it. But right now as I'm speaking, God is reminding you. Saying to you, this thing. I've spoken to you about it. When are you going to get to it? When are you going to do this? So, it could be that way for you. For the rich man, it was a question of priority. For now, he wants to get to that place. Then he can think about following Jesus, maybe later. Or maybe, maybe never. Because he had set a goal. That was what Jesus, that was, Jesus went straight to the heart of the matter for him. For him, he had, he had that thing that he was pursuing that could not allow him to pursue Jesus. So, is it about putting Jesus as a central pursuit of your life? That could be the question. Now, when we, I mean, trying to, to round this up now, when we talk about being set apart, now, like the example of the Israelites, you know, with Joshua and all of that, there were things they needed to do. The example of Moses, of this rich um, young ruler, there were things that they needed to do. So, it could be a cutting off. You know, there's something that you need to disconnect from so that you can focus on Jesus. So, that guy had pursuits that was not going to allow him to follow Jesus. So, the demand that Jesus made of him, he couldn't accomplish because that thing already had him. He had that commitment that he couldn't get out from. So, it could be that, that for you, it could be that you need to cut off from some pursuits to be able to focus on Jesus. Or from some people, in some cases, it could be a relationship, it could be a pursuit. You know, God demands it. Others may not understand it. I mean, Zipporah did not understand, Moses is why, did not understand why you'd be cruel to your own child. But in Moses' case, God demanded it. And he had to do it. It could be to give up something. So it could be that something represents an accomplishment. You know, is a status symbol. Is a is a what's the word now? Um, it's a thing of prestige. So I've been. I mean, making fun of this guy wanted to be on Forbes list. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being on Forbes list. Many of us will make it there even beyond in Jesus' name. I mean, if that's if that's your path, you know. But for him, that was paramount. He wasn't going to let it go for Jesus' call. So, for some of us, it may be something that God is calling you to give up. 
it could even be to give up a grudge. For as long as on this earth, me and this person, we can never say it to her. Jesus is saying, give it up. Just give it up. There's no point. Give it up. I will get even. I will do this. I will do that. Give it up. So that could be what it means to be set apart. You know, just focus on Jesus. It could be to open up. So for the guys who are going to be circumcised by Joshua, they had to open up. And you see, God has a sense of humor. God says they should carry the covenant in their bodies. But to be able to carry the covenant in your body, you have to first expose yourself to someone else. You have to open up. And you see, the kinsman redeemer, for all of us, everyone who is a child of God, you need to open up to God. Open up to Jesus. Say to him, I'm here. This is the issue. Not to me. I can't help you. I'm sorry. But Jesus can. The art the bitterness, the anger, open it up. That secret sin, open it up to Jesus. Take it to him. This is me. There's no need to be self-conscious about it. There's no need to be ashamed. I might laugh, but Jesus will not. I'm on the queue too. You might just be going before me. When I get it, I'm going to undress. Jesus will see me as I am. We can laugh outside. But when I'm standing in front of Jesus, I won't be laughing. Because the knife will be held to me too. So give it up. Open it up to Jesus. It's about yielding. Submission. Yes, it might be embarrassing. It might be. It might be difficult. It might be painful even. But if you don't open it to Jesus, you won't heal. If you don't take it to Jesus, then you can't deal with it. So please open it up to Jesus. For some of us, it's to stay in camp. After circumcision, we see John in Joshua chapter 5, after they were circumcised, they stayed in Gilgal until they were healed. They stayed in the place of nurturing. Why the wound is fresh, you decide to go and play soccer. You will cry from the pitch. So stay in camp. Stay still. God is planting you. He's working on you. I want to take matters into my own hands. I need to move now. I can't wait for God anymore. I've been praying since nothing has happened. Stay in camp. Please stay in camp until you are healed. And you see the, the fantastic thing that happened. And that's, 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 that's where I will, I, will, I will conclude. So verse, verse 12 of, um, of, of Joshua chapter 5. You know, after, I mean from verse 11, Joshua 5 from, from verse 11. After they had done all the things that God required of them, the Bible said they celebrated the Passover. So they stayed, had the circumcision done, had everything done. They stayed there. They celebrated the Passover. 
And then the very next day, the very next day after they had done what God wanted them to do, they were launched into their next level. There was a transition. All along, they've been depending on manna. Eating what they don't understand. It just lands, they pick it, they eat it, and that's it. But after that day, the very next day, the Bible said they started to eat of that land. The land is, they entered into the land of promise. They tasted of it. You know, they were not like the guy that God he said, can God do this? And God said, you will see it, but you will not taste. Now, they were there. Why didn't they start eating before these things were done? God wanted certain things settled first. So the next level is not a big deal for God to deliver. Lifting, access, not a big deal for God to deliver. In fact, God had already delivered it. Because if you read verse 1, of chapter 5. The Bible said all the kings on this side of the Jordan, they were already afraid. Terrified. But the whole of chapter 5 was devoted to reestablishing the covenant. So they needed to get it fixed. And when it was fixed, then they entered into their next level. And after that, the angel of God appeared and took control. So the next thing the last thing, I mean, the last point I have on, on this is, you know, you might have something to, you know, let go of, to give up, you know, to open up to God, you know. But for some of us, we need to even hand over control of our lives to Jesus. We need to cede the control to Jesus so that he can take charge, so that he can give us victory, you know. So, I know everyone is, I mean, we're all thinking about this and seeing how it applies to us. But I want to give an opportunity to someone or to anyone who is watching online who is yet to know Jesus as Lord. You know, I'm saying things like, oh, take it to Jesus. But you're like, can I trust this Jesus? You know, I want to introduce you to this Jesus. Jesus is such an amazing person. He's the friend of the weak is the friend of the lowly. I like us to bow our heads and, and just start to talk to God. You know, I want to give an opportunity to someone today to connect with Jesus, to yield their hearts to Jesus, to say to Jesus, this is where I am. I've been hiding parts of my life. Because it's not glamorous. In fact, I'm embarrassed about it. There are things about me that no one knows. And I'm ashamed to say that is who I am. Jesus is not ashamed to identify with you. Others might be embarrassed, but Jesus is not. There's no one that comes to Jesus that Jesus turns away. So if you are there, you are saying, there's something about me that makes me weep. There's something about me that I'm ashamed of. There's something about me that I've not been able to figure out no matter how hard I try. There's something about my life that I need to turn over to someone who knows how to handle it. Then you are the one I'm talking to. I'd like you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I've come. Jesus, I'm here. I'm no longer hiding. I'm stripping it bare before you. Help me.
me. Don't be like, like, like that rich ruler who walked away from Jesus when Jesus was giving him a lifeline. I want you to say to Jesus today, this is me. Help me. Help me. Draw me near to yourself. Draw me near. Help me to know you. Help me to love you. Help me to let go. Help me to let go of the bitterness. Help me to let go of the pain. There might be other people here. You've been through things that are so painful you don't want anyone to know. But you cry on your own. You know Jesus, yes. But you've not really exposed that part of you to him for healing. I'd like you to say to Jesus today, you are the kinsman redeemer. You are the one that knows how these things can be done. So I come to you. I expose it to you. I open it to you. Or maybe you are there. You have gotten yourself entangled in certain things or in certain relationships and you know that this is not in line with your consecration. You probably had made promises to God in the past to say if you do this I will live like this. And then for some reason you've just let it slide. You've neglected to do it. You've not been paying attention to it. There's an altar of consecration that has burned out. I want you to say to Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm coming back. I'm here, Lord. Please take me back. I want you to say to Jesus, here I am. And maybe you are, you are, you are there, you are, you are saying, none of this applies to me. Glory be to Jesus. But this is not about looking at others and thinking, oh, these ones need help and I don't. It's about recommitting yourself to Jesus and saying I belong to you. You are my owner. You are my master. You are my Lord. I belong to you. All that I am, dead or alive, I am yours. I like us to just talk to Jesus this morning and say, Father, we belong to you. And then I want us to just receive his love. For every one of us, I want us to receive his forgiveness. I want us to receive healing. I want us to receive cleansing. I want us to receive strength. Receive strength. Receive strength to carry on. Receive grace to follow God. Receive healing. Receive perfection in your heart and in your spirit. Receive everything that God has for you. Father, we thank you. We give you praise.
us to sing a consecration. I am thy.